We are in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 9. Uh, this has been a series that we started in January. It's part of the pastoral epistles. We started last September. It was kind of the plan and ministry of our church is we're going to, this is what we're going to do. From September till June, Lord willing, we're going to go through 1 Timothy, take a break for Christmas, which we did, and then 2 Timothy, take a break for Easter, and then Titus. It's awesome, right? And uh, it, it has been. But So the, the theme, as you've probably seen on screen or in the study guides, which Paul gives to Timothy and to the church in Ephesus, for the writing of the letters, the first, the first was he wanted to give him instructions in 1 Timothy about how we ought to behave in the church, how the church should gather on Sundays, who's doing this, who's doing that, elders, deacons, it was great. In this particular letter, it's all about guarding the good deposit that has been given to you. Guarding the gospel, guarding the truth. And so the whole teaching has been about that. And, and so today I, I have to preface by saying, I was looking at this text for today and I'm thinking to myself, some of you here today, maybe even last week or weeks before, I'm going, Paul, Pastor Glenn, please, <laughs> could we maybe take a break? Uh, First and Timothy and Second Timothy, that's great. But could we just take a break one Sunday and just look at something more warm and fuzzy? You know, a little bit more uplifting. I got to do this, okay, so I I get it, but yeah, actually I hope today, bear with this, okay, because the intention by Paul to Timothy, to the church, and the Holy Spirit for us today is to encourage us. There's warnings, there's there's ways in which we need to be warned and and shown certain things for our protection and for also our going and proclaiming the gospel, and and they're difficult, they're difficult, but I, I just hope you'll stay with me until the end. Because I, I want to show you that this is actually very encouraging, what he's trying to say. And he is saying. So read with me. I'll read the first uh, nine verses, and then we'll pray one more time, and then we will dive in. Paul, writing to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janez and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be made plain to all, as was that of these two men. Let's pray. Uh, Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you. Every week, Lord, we thank you for your word. There are reasons why, uh, Holy Spirit, you prompted Paul while he was in chains, in prison in Rome, expecting his death very shortly, which did happen. Um. You inspired him to write these lovely letters and words to Timothy to encourage him not to give up in these difficult times. 
And so we, we take this today as words for us as well, that we are not to become weary with doing good, not to become weary with proclaiming your name today in this world, let alone in the days of Ephesus, which were equally, if not even more so, challenging. So Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray you would just take the thoughts that you've given to me this week to maybe help us see this text, not only in in the way that you intended for the church in Ephesus to receive them and what they mean, but how they apply and, and, and are to help us today. So I just want to ask you to bless this time together. In your worthy name, Jesus, amen. So again, most of you who are relatively regular at the Rock Church, you know me. Like I ask questions, right? There's been a lot of weeks where I haven't, but the last time, two weeks ago, I did have a question. I have another one today uh, to start us off, just to get us into the thought of where we're going here this morning. Think about this. What would be a very good example for you of someone who might be the worst example of a judgmental person? Of course, that wouldn't be any one of you, right? Never, right? What would that look like? What, what kind of person would that be like? Uh, how about someone who's recently overcome, you know, uh, a very bad habit in their life, and now they've become the number one critic for those who are still stuck in that way of life? I've thought of one. Ex-smokers, okay? Like, I are one, okay? Was one. I became an ex-smoker when I came to Christ in, at 23 years of age, but I, I remember, I don't know about you guys, anyone else in this room smoked before or smoke? Okay, look at Mostly the older people. Good for you young people. That's great. I'm going to see. But seriously, when you first stop smoking and like you're done, you, you know you're done, the habit's gone, what happens is you just, everywhere you go, you, when, as soon as you smell smoke, you're no longer tempted to want to have a cigarette, but you're immediately going, that smells terrible, right? Like you really notice it, right? right? And, and, and then what happens is what can happen anyway, and this is, this is not good. This is when you become judgmental, right? Now you're like, not only are you running around all the time trying, trying to make sure that places are safe for your lungs, right? But, you know, wherever you go, whether it's a restaurant and someone's sneaking, sneaking a smoke in, in, the, in the bathroom, right? Or on an airplane, that's bad. Or, or like wherever, right? Now all of a sudden, you're, you're not only the number one critic, you're, you're the judge. Right? You're like the ex-smoker Gestapo, right? Like you're looking for these people and you don't want them just to stop smoking. You want them put in jail. That's shame, right? I know. It's silly, right? So, so, Glenn, honestly, Pastor, what are you doing here? Why would you, why would you highlight this? Well, I think it's for a very good reason, actually, and it is for this reason. I think the problem for most of us is when we read a passage like this, that was, that was interesting, wasn't it? Did you hear? I mean, it just keeps going, right? Did you hear all those things? Sometimes some of us can read a text like that and go, oh, yeah, 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 you know. Uh, I used to be like that, but not anymore. I'm an Xer on all of those things, right? Are you really? Am I really? But not only that, then we can say, well, yeah, but that, that's, not, that's not Christians. That's not honorable vessels. Well, you're right. Shouldn't be. But no, instead, it's those people out there. It's the smokers. <laughs> it's the people who do these things. If you or I were to read this text in that way and think it's not about people who are actually in the church, you'd be sadly mistaken. That's not what's going on here. Paul is talking about, but this is what's going on in the actual church. So it's, it's a challenging thing. I mean, look at, I'm, again, our tendency, I think, is to look at words like, I'm sorry, but I'm going to repeat them twice this morning, and once is going to be right now. We're like proud, arrogant, abusive, 
disobedient to their parents. Nobody, right? Oh, they're all upstairs right now. (laughs) Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. And then we can all think, oh yeah, okay, that's no longer me. I'm an exer and all those things, like I said, but be careful. That's what Paul wants to get across to us today, and I think the Holy Spirit wants us to get that understood in our minds as well. So as we've highlighted many times, Paul's greatest concern, yep, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, his greatest concern for Timothy and for the church in Ephesus and the church today is false teaching, false teachers and false doctrine that enters the church. And, and, and it's here, when, when we get to this but, right, in this text, because what? But what? Well, but what Rudy preached on last Sunday about honorable vessels and dishonorable vessels, right? This is where we see the connection with that passage. False doctrine, listen, and ungodly living, dishonorable vessels go hand in hand. They live together. That's the connection that we need to see. They're the arch enemy, actually, of the church. So last week we saw, and Rudy did such a great job bringing this out. I actually listened to a sermon twice. I don't normally listen to anybody twice, but I did, because it was, it was great. It was really good. Uh, and he encouraged Timothy and the church to be vessels of honor, obviously, and not vessels of dishonor. And so that's challenging. He's basically saying, Timothy, listen, I want you. Of course, you're a pastor, you're an elder, you're a leader in the church, but I want you and all of the members of the church to, to be sanctified in your faith, to grow in your faith, and to become honorable vessels. Why? Because God uses honorable vessels to do his will and to do his work and to do his ministry. Dishonorable vessels, well, you know, if you're a Christian and you're being dishonorable and you're falling back into some of these nasty character traits, you're not growing. And you know what? As a Christian, your life is worse than it was before. Amen? That's part of the point that we're supposed to see. And so in the verses that were covered last week, he gave... Paul gave some really good key principles on how to be honorable vessels, but listen, one thing that he didn't give, and he doesn't give, and he didn't give last week, and I can't do that for you today, is he did not say, it's then going to be easy, did he? He didn't say that, and he's certainly not saying that in our text for today. So being an honorable vessel will be very difficult because there will be, and I know this is really good news for some of you, there will be ever, ever, ever-increasing evil and sin and battle in our lives and in this world. Until when? Well, we're going to see. We're going to see. So Timothy had already begun to experience the resistance in Ephesus. I showed you guys a picture a couple of weeks ago of what the ruins of Ephesus look like today. Janice and I went there nine or ten years ago on a tour with some missionaries, uh, and we saw the ruins. It's the, the, the whole town is gone. Cultures that give themselves to these things and turn from the word of God, that's what happens repeatedly. Well, the church has gone too. It's in modern-day Turkey today, and this is now a Muslim country. Being a Christian is extremely dangerous in Turkey today. And so they are present in the church in Ephesus and every church since that day and in this day. It's a little bit like the parable that Jesus taught on the wheat and the tares. Remember, anybody read that one? That's fun, isn't it? There's going to be wheat. There's going to be really, really truthful Christians in the church. They really are. But then there's going to be these things called tares that look just like them, but they're not. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) There's a solution to that. 
the solution is for all of us every day and every Sunday at least to come and hear the gospel and for all of us to respond to the gospel. I once was told by an elder many, many years ago, because I was a little bit tired at the church that I was going to, it seemed like every sermon, every Sunday was a come to Jesus, right? Like it was always at the end, like Rudy loves this, at the end of every service, it was like, okay, there's the gospel, right? And I said to the guy, I said, like, we're all, we're all sitting here, like, we're, like it, every Sunday, it's the same message, basically. Like, can we get on to some, like, really tough teaching, like Paul and Timothy? Just kidding. Um, and he looked at me, and he was a very old man, and he looked at me, and he goes, Glenn, I have no idea who's here this morning, so I'm not going to take any chances with their souls. That was good, wasn't it? It was good advice. I appreciated it. And so that's why Paul begins here with the word, look, the word, but. He wants Timothy and the church to know that while we are all striving, we are, I know you are. I I know many of you very well. I know you are. We're trying to be faithful followers of Jesus and his word, to become these sanctified, honorable vessels because we want to be used by him. That's what I want. I'm sure that's what you want is we want to be used by him for his purposes and for his glory and his honor and so that people would come to faith in Christ and have eternity with him. That's why. And so the sinful, broken nature of all humanity is actually all around us. It's everywhere. We know that. It can be very discouraging. But the truth is, Paul is encouraging Timothy to understand this. This is in the church. It's in the church. So we all need to hear this message today. So let's look at our first verse. And we'll spend a bit of time like we normally do, often on the first verse. But he starts off in verse 1 and says this. It'll be on screen for you. But understand this, Timothy, church. These letters, by the way, if you haven't been with us for a while, these are all read publicly in the church in that day. It wasn't just a personal letter that Timothy filed away. It became the teaching of the church. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Actually, the word difficulty in the Greek could be translated danger. So Timothy, he's saying, in light of all that I've been sharing and charging you with, when it feels like, Timothy, when it feels like, man, after you've been there five, six, seven years, you helped me plant that church in Ephesus. When it feels like the church is just, it, people are leaving and people are falling into sin again, and it just feels like the whole thing is just going to H-E double hockey sticks in a handbasket. Right? Timothy, understand what's going on. That's why that word is there. Understand that there is a reality going on. So uh, my wife, many of you know her, Janice, she's awesome, right? Uh, She has taught me very well over the years uh, how to be a wise shopper, especially for something called produce, right? Right? Like lettuce, right? Things like that. So I'll go to the grocery store and she trained me. And you know what? I I think I've got this down. We're married 45 years, okay? I think I have this down. But I can go to Independent or Nestor's or whatever, and I can bring home a box salad and some whipping cream or whatever, and I'll put it on the counter before I get it in the fridge, and she's going, what's the best before date? Right? Like, she always looks at it, and I'm going, like, she doesn't, you know, believe that when I go there and I grab it, actually, I, I go, you know what they do? It's, it's just a hint, right? They put the ones that are expiring sooner up front and the ones that are expiring later at the back. Sneaky, isn't it? Anyway, so I've learned that. She doesn't trust me. Um, but it's important, right? Best before is important. But there's a more important date, isn't there? What is it? It's called the expiry date. <laughs> like, when, when it says expiry date, it's like after that date, don't use it. And that's true mostly, obviously, of medications, right? 
So that, that's an important thing for us to understand, that there are these different things. One of them is expiry date. It's key for us to understand the phrase that we're going to look at next in our text. And that phrase is the last days. I don't know if this is a newsflash for the rest of you or all of you in this room or anybody for that matter, but you do realize that everything that you see out there, everything, living and material, you and I has an expiry date. Right? We know that, right? (laughs) Do we live in light of that all the time? Or in denial of that all the time? The sun will come up when? Tomorrow, right? It's a famous musical. I just came up with that myself. Um, we, live in, we don't live properly in light of that, but that is the truth. We, everything is going to expire. When you look at this book, which is the Bible, the collection of 66 books that makes up the Bible, from the very beginning, it's about the beginning, right? Genesis 1, in the beginning. So there was a beginning. And you know what? Revelation, in the end. There's an expiry date. But we don't live in light of that. Even as Christians, that's really important for us to understand what it means here about the last days. So what then or when are these last days? Well, conventional thinking is, even for people who are not you know, seasoned Bible readers or Christians, is that, well, yeah, the, the last days are, you know, the days before you know, Armageddon and you know, World War 14 or whatever it's going to be, three probably, and, and uh, then this, those last days are just before Jesus comes. That's not a bad way of looking at it, but it's not actually what this means. The last days actually was used often in the Old Testament. Often in the Old Testament. Two examples. The first example would be one of my favorites is Daniel, right? In chapter 2. Um, you know, this, it won't be on screen or anything related to it, but it's in the days of the Babylonian captivity. And Daniel prophesied and said, in the last days, right? He said it actually two or three times in the book of Daniel, and he was referring to when? The last days before the Messiah comes, before Jesus comes. And it was intended to be a bit of an, an encouragement to the people who are in captivity, right? That there's going to be the, the end of this. But it really wasn't the last days, was it? Because it was going to be a beginning. The Messiah was going to come. And there was going to be hope and a new beginning. Well, we do know, and this will be on screen for you, that in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times, gets up. And he says these words, and in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out all my flesh, my spirit, pardon me, on all flesh. And he's quoting from an 800-year-old prophecy by the prophet Joel, right? But then what he says is, related to that, he, he says, and the last days are these days. This is now when it's fulfilled. So that was the last days in the context of Joel was that. For our purposes today, there's a better scripture that gives us a better understanding of what these last days means. And that's found in Hebrews. And I love this text very much. The first verse won't be on screen, but the second will. Hebrews 1 opens with these words. I love it. It's so good. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So long ago and in many ways, God spoke about last days or last things. But listen, look at verse 2. But in these last days. He has spoken to us by his son. I love this because in the literal Greek, the word his is not there. It's, he's spoken to us by son, and it's almost like Jesus is a language. I think that's actually a great way to perceive him and his teachings. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. 
So the writer of Hebrews, most commentators and theologians would agree, and I do as well, he's informing us that the last days began when God began to speak through his son. And, and that means that we are in those last days. You've been in those last days all of your life. The last days that Paul is referring to here are the days from the first coming of Christ until the end, the expiry date, when Jesus comes again. And, oh, by the way, good news. You all know how the story actually ends, right? This all winds up and is expired. But there's a new heaven and there's a new earth. There's no sin for those who are in Christ forever. Oh, that's going to be a good time, isn't it? I hope we'll see that actually in our end. So the last uh, phrase, this here we see here is the last days, is actually speaking about that. It's speaking about actually the church age, the age that you and I are living in right now. So again, looking back at verse uh, 1, and we'll hopefully get that back on screen, uh, we can, what, what, what the question is, what can we expect during these last days? What is Paul saying to Timothy that we can expect? He says, there will be times of difficulty. <laughs> Constantly, actually. Which is why in Romans 8, Paul says, the creation is groaning right now. All of creation is groaning. Do you not groan when you hear about what's going on in Ukraine? and around the world, in places in the world where people are in poverty and sick and dying, and there's really not much we can do over here, right? It's, it causes us, it should cause us to groan, and that is obviously happening. So the church has always been, will always be plagued, listen, by false teachers, by false apostles, by false pastors and preachers, and false Christians, those who name the name of Christ but are truly, actually, either Christians in name or not really born again. So they, great, they create great confusion in, in the church. They create disorder in the church. And they tend to keep the church in a constant mode of warfare and battle. There, there are times of peace, <laughs> it seems. But it seems also there's this constant time. And so the hope would be, listen, some of us would be thinking, since we're on Team Jesus, right? Since the hope would be that in Christ, you know, I become a, a Christian. I, I trust Jesus with my life. And he is obviously king. He's on the throne. It's all going to work out. We know that. We would hope things are going to get better. That would be called dominion theology. It's not correct. In our passage next week, this will not be on screen, we actually read Paul going, by the way, Timothy, I'm sorry, people in Ephesus, people at the rock, I'm sorry to tell you this, but evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's, it's, a, it's not going to get better. Not until Christ comes again. There's another word in verse 3 here, that, verse 1 in chapter 3, that we need to look at. It's the word time, times of difficulty, right? That's an important word here because it's not chronological. It's not talking about chronological time. That would be the word chronos in the Greek, you know, chronology. Um, this is actually the word kairos in the Greek, and it means, listen, seasons or, or, or epochs, uh, particular times. And the best way to understand that, under that that is, that in the period of the church age in which we live, very, 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 very difficult seasons will set in, and then some not so difficult. <laughs> They're all going to be difficult. There will be, and everybody, of course, wants revival, right? And revival is going to be, it's going to be great. 
Yes, that's true. Things are going to wax worse and worse. I would think that all of us would look at it this way. There will be ups and downs, and it's a lot like marriage, right? For those of you who've been there, right? In marriage, and and I also would think in uh, church planting or in the life of a Christian, there is something called the honeymoon phase, right? It's like everything is just love and groovy and awesome, and you're perfect, and I'm not so, but you're so perfect. And whoa, then what happens? Right? I've shared this before, but when I became a Christian at 23 years of age, uh, I was a long-haired um, hippie wearing bell-bottoms and tie-dyed T-shirts and, in, and smoking and inhaling all kinds of substances. And uh, okay, anyway, and so Jesus saved me and I got a haircut, right? And, and I'm telling you, listen, I'm telling you, uh, for 9 to 12 months, I, I lived, I, I thought I was an angel. Like, I was raised Catholic, so my mother always thought I was an angel. But anyway, like... <laughs> I live, and actually, you know what, how I know that I was, I felt like I was an angel is because some of my best friends before I became a Christian all of a sudden couldn't stand me anymore. Not because I was against, but it was just, but you know, the nine to 12 months in, guys, anyone experienced this? It was like the Lord went, okay, that's how it's supposed to feel. Now, Glenn, let's come back down to reality. That's just reality. There was a honeymoon phase. And so I, I want to encourage you that this, this can happen in the life of the church, and we should be encouraged by that. We should be encouraged in times when, when the Lord is blessing our church and people are coming to faith, and we're going to have baptisms on February 25th, possibly eight or nine people right here getting baptized. Amen? That hasn't happened in a few years. That's a less difficult time, is it not? It's a time to rejoice. They happen. There are these things. And so, again, this exhortation from Paul to Timothy, to us here today, is to look, keep your chin up. Keep your chin up. It, it, it is good. It's going to get a lot better. In the meantime, there's going to be persecution. Okay? Stick together. That's why you need a church. Okay? If you're visiting here today and you're like, just checking this out. No, that's why you need a church. You need a church family to be with you and to care for you. So look at these words again. I'm gonna, they're going to be on screen. Verses 2 to 4. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not, look at this, loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Paul, please stop. <laughs> he finishes with, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. See how that's bookended? That's important. There's the honeymoon phase, and things get sideways. So I just want to isolate a few words for you that are here on screen. And the first would be, for people will be. Do you see that? It's important that we understand it doesn't say people will become. Right? We have this misnomer in our culture and in our world where it's like, well, you know, we're born innocent. (laughs) <laughs> and until they become six to nine months of, year, of age, we know that's not true. Right? No one's born innocent. But there, there's that, that, that thought that maybe we are. So for people will be, Paul's just saying, look, people will be this way. It's reality. You know what? You were, and you could fall back into this too. So this is an identity. This is a reality that we're all battling. It's saying that you are, and they will become just be being who they are. And these are some of the traits. They're, they're nasty. They're sad. Really, they are. They're broken. Amen? 
but the reality as well. So the key, of course, one that we look at here is the whole idea of self-love. Lovers of self. <laughs> In this text, what is it representing? Well, at the beginning of the text, it's actually representing, if you go on, the downward spiral of human character and human hearts. It begins with self-love, right? Listen, if you're not a Christian here today, or if you've been a Christian recently, or you've read anything in, out there, you know, you realize that the culture we live in doesn't buy this, right? Like that, that's not the way I was raised in school and et cetera. I, I was raised to believe that, you know, and I, you still see it. It's everywhere. That the greatest problem that any of you have, that I have, or anyone in the culture has is with, 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 with uh, you know, like feeling down and not feeling like you're ever going to get there or whatever. You know what your problem is? It's your self-image. You don't love yourself enough, <laughs> right? It's not about other people not loving you the way they should. You just don't love yourself enough. It's not, you, you need to, for you to be all that you want to be, you need to love yourself more. That's what the teaching of this scripture is. And so when you look at it, look at this. Self-love, what Paul is saying and the Holy Spirit is saying by extension through these words, if you're focused on self-love, you're going to love money. Why? Because money is going to help me love myself more. It's going to give me all of the love that I need or that I can buy. Possessions. How about proud? People that love themselves that much are pretty, what, proud, arrogant. Like, don't judge people out there right now. Let's just, let's, let's let this sink in right here, okay? That's the point here. Abusive, disobedient to their parents. Why should you obey, obey your parents if it's all about you? <laughs> Anyone raised a teenager? <laughs> Come on. Anyone been a teenager? Of course you have, right? <laughs> George raises his hand, yeah. <laughs> a long time ago. Thank you, George. Me too, me too, buddy, I'm sorry. Okay, it's true, okay. All of these traits, they all, if you look at them, they're the downward spiral. They're the result of self-love. Just putting yourself above everyone else. Now, some of you might go, well, I don't really do that, do I? Can I ask you, husband, wife? Ask your spouse. Ask your children. Ask your best friends. Do I ever exhibit this? Be a good exercise, I think. So today we also have what commentators would call uh, the me society, right? I mean, come on. It, it's all about, listen, my rights, my needs, my views. It's, it's just endemic. And it's what we hear about every time, all the time. Here's, here's a very important thing for us to understand here this morning. You will not find one instance in this collection of 66 books where that is said to be right. Not one. Anywhere in this wonderful scripture. Instead, and we'll look at this in conclusion in a beautiful text that I want to read for you in conclusion, you will see things like humble yourself. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. However, the scripture does teach us there is one, one person that we should love this way. Who? the Lord your God, with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Just to quote one commentator, I found this quite fascinating. He said this, sadly, 
as soon as you or I decide to love yourself, love ourselves, you've just seriously derailed the possibility of a meaningful relationship with God, with Christ, or anybody else for that matter. If your agenda is you, then it will violate every relationship that you endeavor to make in some way or at some point in time. I have my own history. I can look back on that and go, that's a true statement. I don't know about you, but let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Anyone heard of St. Augustine? Christian, came out of a pretty, pretty wild lifestyle and became a Christian and a theologian, a philosopher. In AD 462, and this is going to be in screen, on screen because I saw this, and I, I thought, we got to see this. He said this. He, look, look at this. How many years ago? This is like 1,600 years ago at least, right? And he said this. Two cities have been founded by two loves, the earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God, the heavenly by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. And then he added... The former, in a word, glorifies itself. The latter, the Lord. And so he's made it very clear, I believe. He says it's basically this. Either you love yourself or you love God. There's no middle ground here. You either are loving yourself or you're loving God. And the lean should be obviously to loving God. You all know my my favorite... um, pastor who passed away uh, last year, Tim Keller. So many great quotes from that man. But one thing that he said is, you know, look, Christian, it's not about um, thinking less of yourself. Like thinking like I'm a worm. No, it's about thinking of yourself less often. Wow. I remember when I first read that and I heard him say that, I went, you know, I don't know, do I do that? So I thought I'd, I'd just an exercise for the next two or three days. How many times in whatever circumstance I'm in, I'm thinking of me was ridiculous. That's all I'm going to say. Paul goes on in verse 5 to say this, about all these people in the church that are exhibiting these characteristics, having the appearance in verse 5 of godliness, but denying its power. Please see these words. Avoid such people. We love that in the church, don't we? Because we're supposed to love people. You know, we don't want to ever... We don't want to ever say, no, I'm going to avoid you. I'm going to avoid that person. We don't want to do that. Well, here, this is actually clear evidence in this text and many others that this is Paul talking about people that actually exist in the church. And, and it could be some of us and some of our heart issues. It could be. And so this is very important for us to see. These people, they, look, they appear very religious. They check all the boxes, 10 Sunday gatherings, maybe through a, a little tip or a few coins in the offering jar, may even step up and serve, come up and take communion. Don't anybody get psyched out here this morning. I'm just saying, wheat and tares, they look just like a Christian. I would just want to say this to every one of you here. Don't you be fooled by the enemy. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now about this, listen up. Listen up. Turn yourself away from that way of thinking, that way of life, and fully to Christ. That's what this is calling us to. I used to, when it says avoid uh, these people, I couldn't help it. I remember my mom, Eunice, who raised me uh, as a Catholic. She was a very devout Catholic woman. And uh, I didn't realize my mom actually knew her Bible. (laughs) I didn't realize that because it wasn't opened a lot in our home. And, uh, but actually, 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter 15, do not be deceived. Bad company, what? Corrupts good morals. 
avoid such people. Paul gives us a couple of examples as we move to our conclusion. Verses 6 and 7, he says, For among them, among these people in the church, are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the truth. Let me explain. Some of you ladies are going, what? (laughs) Why is it the women that are weak and not the men? Well, that's not the point. Um, the point actually is, is in that day, vast majority of women were a home alone during the day, especially in a city like Ephesus. It wasn't an agrarian city. It was a cosmopolitan city. And many of those women were home alone. And what they mean by weak there is vulnerable. That's what weak means. They were vulnerable. They're not weak women. It's, it's, men can be weak too. Amen? Right. And that is really the point here. But, but what they're actually getting at, and commentators would agree, that Paul knew and Timothy knew that there were circumstances like this happening in the church. There were false teachers that, listen, during the day, who's the best person who's got some time for me to go and and sow some false teaching to? Women who are at home and alone. That's who. And that was actually what's happening with these false teachers. So listen, how, how do we bring that up to today since most of you young ladies in this room here today and most of you married women here today are working? right? It's a dual income situation, right? Well, that's fine. That's great. How does that work? Well, this could be true for both men and women. And I want you to hear this. How about when you, maybe if you are at home as a mom right now or whatever, or how about, uh, you know, you're, you as a guy or whatever, you've got some spare time, you're doing some chores around the house, you got some earbuds in, what are you listening to, right? Maybe we're listening to some podcasts, some teachings from some false teachers, right? Or how about this? Maybe we're listening to secular podcasts and uh, gurus and people who are teaching the secular view of self-love. Maybe we're giving ourselves to that. That would be a way to see that today. Verse 8 says, and he gives an example from the Old Testament. This is awesome. Just as Janez and Jambres, these are two men, opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the truth. So this is great. Paul tells about an Old Testament story. Many of you will know about this story. Uh, it, was, it was where the, these, these guys, they opposed Moses, but it also tells us they opposed what? The truth. And so in the book of Exodus, we read that there was a situation where Moses was sent by God into Pharaoh's court, and uh, his brother Aaron did a few miracles, right? And the idea of doing these miracles in front of the Pharaoh was to say, this guy Moses is divinely inspired and sent here by God. Well, some of the magicians in Pharaoh's court come out and go, oh, yeah, you think that's good? And they replicate the same miracle, right? But it's sleight of hand. It's magic or it's satanically, right? So then Aaron throws down his rod one more time, and what happens is it turns into a snake, right? And so these two guys, they throw down their rods and two snakes, like literally, and so it's like, well, yeah, you, you know, like that's supposed to say that your God is whatever, and then we can do the same thing. Don't know how they did it, except for the power of the enemy. But then the cool end of that story is the snake that came from Aaron's rod did what? Remember? He ate the other two snakes. Right? And I think Pharaoh went, okay, that proves it. Or at least it should have. And that was actually the point. So there's good news in all of this. Paul ends our passage for today with these words of good news that are intended to encourage you, encourage me, that look, evil is not going to get away. Evil is going to be judged. We don't need to worry about it. Don't worry about the tares in the church. 
It tells us in the scripture that you're not supposed to run around trying to weed out the tares. The angels will do that in the end, is what the scripture teaches us. So don't do that. Preach the word. Preach the gospel. What does it say in verse 9? But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Timothy, Glenn, Christian, don't stress over that. Don't stress over that. So friends, I've said this before. Um, God's plan A for the redemption and the restoration of this world is what? Politics? <laughs> no. It's the church. That's his plan A. It's during seasons when the church in a little tiny small community like Squamish is actually being salt and light. Is when people come to faith, come out of the darkness of this world, come into the light of Christ, and are born again, and get to live for him. And, that, and that's, that's how the church grows. That's actually how the church grows. It's all done in the power of the Spirit. You know what I love about Paul's letter and his letters, which are hard, even Peter had to say, we, we saw that quote a few weeks ago, is that I, I love it. It's because it's the same reason why I love the words of Christ. There's no bait and switch, right? Jesus never said, hey, look, place your face and trust in me, and I'm going to give you your best life now. Did he? He didn't. He didn't. He was authentically true. They hated me. They're going to hate you. They put me to, to death. They're, they're going to persecute you. I love that about that. And that should be encouraging to us. So listen, you and I, we all have expiry dates on our physical bodies, right? You know that's coming, right? We all have expiry dates on our physical bodies. But also I want you to remember this, and this is the really good news. We don't have best before dates, do we? Think about that. But you know what we do have? Best after dates. I came up with that myself. No, the Holy Spirit. The whole, no, I got that. I said to Jen, I said, that's good, right? She went, preach it. <laughs> I want to leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul to be on screen. I don't want to give any commentary to them. I, 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 would, I would encourage you all this week, read these words. Meditate on these words. This will encourage you, encourages me, so let's read together. Philippians 2, verses 3 to 8, they'll be on screen. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Okay, one comment. Like every day, just think about that. How can I do that just today, right? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is your mind, by the way, it says here, in Christ, who through, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. How? By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for you and for me. Pray with me, would you? Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, um, yeah, just mindful of the prayers we had before, upstairs before our service today, and, and, and the whole idea that, Lord, as we consider these things and the truth of these things, how is it possible that I am worthy of all of the spiritual blessings 
that you've given to us that we read, that Rudy read earlier in Ephesians 1. How is that possible? Well, it's your grace. It isn't my effort, thankfully. It's your grace. It's your mercy. It's your love for me, for all of us, that you would, you would do this for us. So Lord, I, I just pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, all of us, myself especially included, would, would just leave here today considering the, the, the challenges of this text, but also see the hope in the fact that in Christ we have the ability to overcome all of those things. That you can change us into the kind of honorable vessels that you will use for your honor and for your glory today and the days that are ahead of us as a church in this community. So Lord, I thank you. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here, those watching online. I thank you for what you're going to do in us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do your work right now. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen.